to Estradial Illusions. This episode is going to be a solo episode and I'm going to deliver a warning right now. This episode is not going to be for everybody because this episode was inspired by crotch sweat. It's not a euphemism. That's uh, literally what inspired this episode. We're going to use that as a as a jumping off point to talk about uh, dating, true love, love at first sight, all of that kind of stuff. What it means to be a real woman. The title of this episode is called "Scent of a Woman." But if you're somebody who goes, "Ew, gross, that's disgusting," at the at the sound of crotch sweat, which is natural, it's not. A topic that uh, comes up very often if you're uh, at Starbucks with a friend, you're probably not going to talk about that. So if you don't want to talk about crotch sweat, and it's not going to be, we're not going to, it's not going to be gross, well, gross is subjective. It's not, we're not going to go overly, it's not going to be a sexual podcast. Uh, It's an analytical podcast uh, episode about, uh, an experience that I had, but if, if if that's not for you, that's totally okay. We will, uh, if you don't want to listen to an episode all about that, go right ahead, um, you know, skip on to the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Roll credits. For the rest of us, something happened a couple months ago that I keep thinking about. And originally I wasn't going to talk about it, but part of what it means to be trans is to uh, acknowledge that there are experiences that I have in life that a lot of us, uh, that a lot of cisgender people don't have. And I like to talk about that because I think through communication we can kind of understand each other a little better, and particularly for the people who are listening whose only experience with trans people has really only come through online. Because this is one of those uh, situations where you really can't experience what I'm talking about uh, unless you know a trans person or meet a trans person in real life. And I think a a lot of the stereotypes or perceptions that exist online about trans people at least in part stem from the the fact that it's a lot easier to craft a a boogeyman in your a boogie person in your head versus a person who is standing right in front of you so to explain the origins of this episode I work out most mornings. I, I've talked about it in other podcasts. I, my typical workout routine is either yoga or I go on the elliptical and I watch Star Trek on my iPad and I do two and a half to three miles. Takes usually a little over 20 minutes. I'm not, you know, going super duper fast, but it's good to exercise, good for the endorphins. Uh, it's good for the days where my energy level is, is kind of crap uh, just to get out, just to get there and get moving. Helps me. But, so I worked out, and I went back to my apartment to take a shower, just cleanly. And if you know me in, in real life, I am not like a total germaphobe, but pretty much, uh, I, I don't, 
not big into super sweaty activities. Uh, don't like touching other people's food. Don't, don't. I like to be clean. I like to smell nice, prim and proper. Princess Ian. A nickname that multiple friend groups had given me before I transitioned, so very fitting. So I get back from the gym, and I take off my clothes to go and take a shower. And I walked into the shower. Well, I walked into the bathroom. About to hop in the shower, and I just smell this scent. This was a few months ago. And I've been I've been transitioning. I've been on HRT for years now, but this is the first time I really, really noticed this particular uh, sensation. I'm about to climb in the shower, and my nose catches the smell, and I start. I stand there, and I'm like, I'm like, I know that smell. That smells like vagina. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that I have a bottom surgery coming up next month, so I do not have a vagina yet. This was a few months ago. I smell the scent of a vagina, which I guess everybody listening who, aside from select gay men or non-binary people, have never been with a woman, you know what that smells like. And it smells different from from male crotch. It's, it's a very distinct smell. And I smell that. I'm like, that's definitely coming from me. That that smell is coming from me. I smell like vagina. I I don't want to. It wasn't like I decided to forgo a shower and sit on the couch naked, wafting in the fumes. No, I I, I didn't think it was uh, the most pleasant of smells, but. Got in the shower, and I'm like, remember to myself, I smell like that. Interesting. And I kept thinking, I kept thinking about it. And what that means. Now, if you, if you Google basically any uh, side effects of HRT, hormone replacement therapy, body odor changing is, is listed. It's, it's well known. It's something that... Uh, I guess it's not one of the major ones that, that the doctor tends to go through when you're when you're talking about like what it means to start HRT. They'll say, you know, your your stamina will go down, breasts will become sensitive. For trans men, this is totally different, but I don't think it, I don't think the for anyone the the idea that you will smell differently will be high on anyone's list. I, I, it was, it, it's still kind of astonishing that, that that particular point, years into my transition, that, that I smell that, and I was like, oh, that's the first time. Oh, I guess maybe it's, it's uh, a positive that I wasn't constant, God, okay. We're not going to go much deeper than what, where we have already in terms of uh, gross imagery, but for you, the listener, I think we, we should all take solace in the fact that um, at least one of us among us is not going around smelling her own crotch constantly. Okay, that's out of the way. 
if all that HRT stuff, if you're a cisgender person listening, if all of that is confusing for you, just think about this example. Uh, there's a point in time where all of us had to start, when we were young, when we had to start wearing deodorant. A five-year-old uh, can play basketball with their father. Uh, a five-year-old boy can play basketball with their father for an hour, and one of them will smell like a trash can, and the other will not. The, uh, you know, young people don't have the same kind of uh, uh, BO about them. This comes literally from sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, that stuff. That's literally what's making the sense. So everybody going through puberty, there's a point where you have to start wearing deodorant because it'll start to smell. Uh, when I was in Catholic school, we had uh, we had gym once a week, government regulated. It would be nice if you, people exercised more than once a week, but they had us mandated for one 40-minute block a week, much of which was dedicated to changing. But when we were really little, you could wear your gym clothes, I think until like third or fourth grade, you'd wear your gym clothes to school and you didn't have to change. But at a certain point, they made you change. And that's because at a certain age, you start to smell bad from sweat. So to, to explain this entire phenomenon yeah, through that lens, it kind of makes sense. You start HRT, you go through essentially a second puberty, totally a second puberty. And that's why on the other end, you smell differently. I keep thinking about what it means that I smell differently. I guess is more unusual than thinking what it means. Uh, just as another sort of aside that you don't normally think about. It's very uncomfortable for me to run across the street without a bra. Like if the if the walk walk sign is about to end and you have to kind of sprint because you don't want to wait the 30 seconds for the light to change again. If I'm not wearing a bra and... If we're being honest with ourselves, there's plenty of time where you don't want to wear a bra. They're uncomfortable a lot of the time. Even if they are uncomfortable, you're still... You got this thing strapped to your upper torso, and it gets old. But there are times when I'm walking downstairs without a bra, and it's just like, ugh, that's not comfortable. And that's, that's something that uh, I probably find more fascinating than years ago before I started HRT than, than just the very idea of having breasts at all. There's the expectation, and then there's the reality, and the reality is I smell differently. I've been thinking about what that means in terms of how society views transgender people. Society tends to view transgender people as this this other, this third. Uh, plenty on the right think of us literally not as men, women, but this like it, this thing. I was called a thing a lot this week. I wrote a review that's uh, been a little controversial. So people call me a thing. But a lot of the time when I go out, I get called a lady. By people who you can even sometimes see it in their eyes when they kind of start to think, Oh, maybe that person is transgender, or they, they look at you first, lady, and then, hmm. and it's, 
you know, nobody likes to be called an it or a thing. And you tend not to get called that in situations where they can see you in the in the flesh, in the pub. I've never been called the thing in public. I, I have experienced uh, discrimination publicly, but uh, not that specific one. And I guess that alone would uh, is is kind of worthy of mentioning because it, it, there is a some sense of decorum from uh, the way that people treat you publicly and uh, the way they treat you online. It is a little different. But one of those differences that we see uh, between online and in public is uh, online, you get these people who say, oh, I would never date a transgender woman. They have XY chromosomes, which is not all true. In fact, none of us have, have chromosome tests, really. We don't do that, so it's kind of stupid to point out. Uh, point out. I don't actually know if I have an XY chromosome. I've, I've been tested for about a billion other things. Never been tested for that. But they say, XY chromosome. They don't have a uterus. They don't have all of this stuff. I would never, ever, ever date a trans woman. I've been in a long-term relationship for about a year and a half. Well, I've been... In the same relationship for a year and a half, monogamous relationship. It became long term sometime after that. It wasn't long term right from the start. So it's been a while since I was on Tinder. But let me tell you you do one of those online polls, would you date a trans woman? That's a hell of a lot different. Like you'll get, oh, all these no's, all this stuff. People don't want to say, oh, publicly, yes, of course I would. You go out on Tinder, you go out to a bar, or all that kind of stuff. There are plenty of people who would date trans women. Or sleep. I, I guess, f for the intents and purposes of what I'm saying, the difference between people who would want to sleep with a trans woman and people who would want to date a trans woman, those are, 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 are not the same. But if we're going to talk about uh, a hypothetical, would you date a trans woman, they kind of mean the same thing. And if we think about what the difference between online and reality is, like the big difference between those two, uh, it, it, it's kind of one of those things that doesn't even need to be said. It's different talking to a person face-to-face -face than it is on Twitter. This is not rocket science. We all kind of know this stuff. But it's important to say because all those people on the Twitter, oh, I won't date trans people. They haven't had a trans person put right in front of them. There's this saying, they say, uh, if it walks like a duck, if it swims like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, uh, maybe it's a duck. There's a part of me that doesn't really want to take that example and then apply it to, to transgender people. But if we were to do that, if it walks, like, for somebody like me, a transgender woman, if she walks like a woman, uh... My voice, I'm not the best example, but I'm also somebody who doesn't really spend a lot of time talking about passing the, the, our first episode is literally called transition on your own terms. If you take a, a, a transgender woman who changes her name, who does voice training, all of that stuff, the example works a hell of a lot better. I'm also not even in the dating pool, so it, I, I shouldn't use myself as a stand in anyway. I rarely dress to impress. I dress up for, like, screeners sometimes. 
but I cannot... Oh, actually, I can tell you the last time I put on makeup, it was uh, Saturday for a festival. And then prior Disneyland. Before that, I don't know. But if a transgender woman who really wants to find love wants to impress somebody, dress to impress. If you're going on a date, you want to not look like, you don't want to wear like a, a ballroom gown, but you're also going to put on clothes. And this, this goes for anybody cisgender, male, female, non-binary, any, anything. Anyone. There's a standard of uh, presentability that comes into the equation. All of those people, all of us, would uh, want to make a good impression. So if we think about a transgender woman in her Sunday best, walking like a woman, sounding like a woman, smelling like a woman... Deductive reasoning then follows. If you're a Ben Shapiro, you could say, well, those are all made-up things. It's, it's still a man. No. Society disagrees. And for a lot of people out there, be very pleased dating a transgender woman. There's a lot of beautiful trans people. There's a lot of beautiful trans men. There's a lot of beautiful non-binary people. There's a lot of beautiful trans women out there. And for somebody like me who uh, is bisexual or pansexual or... Not not attracted specifically to just one gender. Oh, that's kind of great, because you got all these, these great options and beautiful people out there. Although I'm I'm in a monogamous relationship, so I uh I actually, you know, just just for all those reasons outlined about having to make all the impressions, all of that, it it, it makes me happy that I am in one because I like to be in bed by like ten. I barely drink. I don't like putting on makeup. And in Terra, I have somebody who just kind of indulges all of that and feels the same way. And uh, I'm very happy to have my dating days behind me. But for trans women and trans men and non-binary people, for the whole transgender community, I hate when we see these discussions framed around, you know, would you even want to date this person? Because if the, the smell test, literally, we have, a, we have a phrase called, you know, does this pass the smell test? A transgender person is going to pass, who's on HRT, is going to pass the smell test. They will smell like the gender that they're uh, transitioning to be. And this doesn't get talked about. And maybe, maybe it should. Instead, they focus on this, this fertility stuff. And I, I actually have prepared some statistics about fertility. Not too many, just a couple. So apparently, about 10%, according to womenshealth.gov, a government run by the CDC, these are government statistics conducted by people who, who don't draw ma on uh, maps or Sharpies, around 10% of women in the United States ages 15 to 44, no idea where they came up with the 15 number, but let's just roll with that, have difficulty getting pregnant or staying pregnant according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. About 6.1 million women have trouble, cisgender women, have trouble getting pregnant. Now, the transgender population is 
hard to gauge. Uh, a lot of uh, attempts to do so tend to put the number either between uh, a little under a million or a little above a million, and that's including that's that's uh, uh, trans men, non-binary people, trans women. Um, some of whom in that category, some trans men and non-binary people can get pregnant. So there's far more women, there's far more cisgender women who can't get pregnant in the United States than there are trans people who can't get pregnant. And it's kind of a sad topic to talk. I hate I hate comparing infertile women to, to trans women uh, as a general rule of thumb because it's we don't want that to be uh, a requirement for the women card, but uh, a lot of uh, people in trans-exclusionary radical feminism, you know, the kind of people like Cozy Snarker who came in uh, and joined us, they want to harp on the differences between uh, cisgender women and trans women. As it relates to, to infertility struggles... You can't draw black and white distinctions between those two populations. Think about how much money we spend on in vitro fertilization. It's a lot of money. And these, these turf groups only have a problem with uh, trans women who want to get pregnant. So the whole thing is, is just, it's a mess built on a really shaky foundation. It's built on a lot of false logic. Could you imagine going on a date and talking, a first date, man, woman, non-binary, whatever. Going on a first date and bringing up the subject of children. If you do that or if somebody you're with does that, odds are you are running from the doors or they're running for the door. Or, you know, a door is being run toward. That is weird. The reason most people don't propose on first dates also weird. There are subjects that we have deemed that we shouldn't talk about immediately that can be talked about later when the time is right, but we've established that the beginning is not the right time. So to hear all this stuff, oh, I'm not going to date a trans woman, they're barren. Like, I just want to say to these people, okay, if that's your logic, do you, do you, ask, a do you ask a cisgender woman the same thing? If it's so important about trans women, it's gotta, it's gotta be important for everybody. But of course, it's not. It, there's a lot of prejudice. And if you expand it, I mean, people get divorced because uh, one of the people in the marriage cannot get pregnant. That does happen. It's sad. I want to just harp on that constantly. It, it's sad stuff. But it shouldn't be fair game for one population. And this smell, this you may be wondering, what the hell does this have to do with smell? It's all about the abstract versus the reality. And it's important to talk, you know, people will find this podcast over the internet. Most of you listening do not know me. You can leave me comments if you like, I'll respond to them. But uh, you probably, unless you meet me somewhere where I'm speaking or whatnot, will probably not meet me. 
so I am a, uh, a, to some extent, a figure in the abstract, but I'm talking about real life uh, experiences. And I tend to, when I talk about transgender rights, transgender discourse, like to center it reality versus, uh, I don't know, I- community infighting on Twitter, Tumblr, that kind of stuff. I, I don't spend a lot of time talking about that because it's not really super duper relevant to the day-to-day realities of being trans and the challenges that that pose that uh, activism and and, uh, the fight for equality is really trying to improve. I don't care what online people think about my femininity. Once called femininity on this podcast. You may not believe that, but, but... Let's just say I got a lot of shit each day to care about, and sh- I don't have time for that. And it's also because I, 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 I have validation living in Long Beach, where I can walk around, and uh, people will treat me as the uh, beautiful woman that I... Not even, I was about to say no deep down, but I can go look at the mirror. I can see myself in the reflection of a dusty computer monitor on the... Let's stay on the topic of true love, but let's pivot a little bit. Slightly back to smell, but not the way you're thinking. We hear a lot about soulmates, about true love, about love at first sight, about destiny, all of that stuff. Let me pose a question that you can think about. Maybe during the podcast, after... Up to you. How many perfect marriages do you think were ruined because somebody farted on the first date? Laugh a little bit at the idea of flatulence. It's funny. But just as if somebody were to say, oh, uh, what do you think about kids? As like the third or fourth question, you'd probably run to the hills. Let's say you're sitting, uh, say you're, you're, you're at a, at a, delicious uh, hole-in-the-wall style restaurant. You tend to have the best food. But not a lot of seating. And you're sitting across from somebody, man, woman, non-binary, and this person farts. You still say attracted to them? For some people, the answer is probably, I don't care. But we're talking about first impressions, and if your first impression of this person is that they're a farter, That's a problem. Maybe it is. I mean, I could be overreacting. If you if you meet somebody for the first time and they you go to hug them and they stink of bo, that's gonna stick with you. To to tell a similar story, uh, a friend of my grandfather's uh, was coming to dinner or lunch or something in the city, and he was running late, and he arrived, and he was drenched in sweat. And from then on, he's not, I haven't seen him in probably five to 10 years, but, um, he was a figure in my, uh, my, in my grandfather's, um, he's a knight of the Holy Sepulchre, a a religious order, and they would have things that we would go to, and this man would always be there. He showed up on the first day meeting my, uh, my family and my grandmother, who then, my grandmother took a look at him, and from then on, until the day she died, she always referred to him as Sweaty Man. 
I, I have no idea what this man's real name is. It's actually part of the reason I feel comfortable telling the story. I you could put a I have no idea who this man's there's no amount of threatening you could do. I literally do not know this guy's name. I wouldn't be able to tell you who Sweaty Man is. But he was forever branded as Sweaty Man because of the first impression. If my grandmother had known him for five times, uh, had met him on five occasions, and he came and he was covered in sweat, he would not be Sweaty Man. But now and forever, he is uh, Sweaty Man. I'm sure if my grandmother is uh, listening to this podcast from uh, whatever realm we go to after death, uh, she probably still calls him Sweaty Man. First impressions are important. I'm not actually also, just, just for the record, I'm not condoning the fact that she did that. It's not, it was not the nicest thing that my dear grandmother, who I love so much, has ever done. Um, but it's a reality of life that, that first impressions can uh, lead to that kind of stuff. There's a kid on my water, uh, my water polo team in college who was a year older than us, and he showed up to uh, preseason wearing a jammer, which if you're not familiar with uh, swimming apparel, a Speedo is, is kind of the, the men's swimsuit that looks like tidy whities kind of. A jammer is basically like, they, they kind of look like biking shorts. They're tight and they're longer. The demographic, they came out when I, I would have been about 10 and they were popular among boys for uh, a couple of years, but they really don't last very long. And there was kind of a, a sort of counter response to the idea that somebody was just wearing that because they didn't want to wear something as uh, small as a Speedo. So I, I, I tend not to see them anymore, really. But this kid showed up to preseason wearing a jammer, and uh, he's a year, this would have been before we'd even arrived because he was a year older than us. Uh, he is still called jammer, even by people who don't really aren't really that familiar with the situation. Uh, first impressions are very important stuff. And I, I'm not... I, I am a romantic, but I'm not somebody who's terribly concerned with things like love at first sight at Destiny and all of that stuff. If you met your soulmate by some bizarre cosmic coincidence, which is actually how most of us tend to meet each other through bizarre coincidences, there's six billion people out there and a hell of a lot of them you could probably be compatible with either romantically or platonically. This epidemic of loneliness out there uh, could really be solved if people could, would would just if 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 it was uh, in our in our nature to just uh, try to strike up a friend by going through some uh, shared uh, shared common interests. Like it'd be, it be it. There's no real way to do it because you'd attract a ton of weirdos uh, in your house. But if if I knew more people that like to play like Neo Geo around. Uh, that's an obscure game system that I have. Uh, I would love that. That'd be great. But um, that's not how human connections are typically made. They're made by more chance encounters. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's maybe not the perfect system. It's probably why online dating has become more common, which tries to uh, broaden the field towards something I was describing with the Neo Geo. 
But for for people who didn't meet on, on online dating, it, it tended to be either a coincidence or you were set up, but even getting set up requires uh, that a friend you may have met on a chance coincidence or... Like, think about how many, like, freshman college roommates are still friends. It's a good number, maybe not a total number, but I, I certainly know people who are still friends with their college roommate. If you didn't request that person, that's totally chance. But you were just stuck, you, 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 the, the, the constant would be that you were forced to spend time with this person as opposed to anybody else that you had a chance to meet. Uh, you're the Starbucks barista and you may like the same band. You're not going to know that in the time that you uh, get to meet them or the time that you get to spend with them. So this this whole notion of uh, destiny, love at first sight, um, I I just I don't think there's a lot to it. But the opposite can kind of be true in the sense that people who a lot can go wrong on a first date that can just make you not want to see the person. I I it's happened when I've been seeing people who have done odd things, and uh, God knows. I have probably been the cause of more than a few, especially before I transitioned. Plenty of people would probably be like, okay, this person's a little off. Something's up with them. I am not going to see the one they call ITM again. That's okay. But because something went wrong on a first date means that it doesn't necessarily mean that you couldn't be happily ever after, that you could be compatible. It's just there isn't a desire to get there. It's why you can't really have a fight on the first date, but you could have a fight on the 30th date and maybe survive, probably, hopefully survive. All couples fight. But that fart, I mean, getting back to the fart, if you're sitting there, imagine a five-star restaurant somebody farts. Put, put aside the hole in a wall. Imagine a five-star restaurant somebody farts. Oof. No dessert there. No cappuccino. No macaroon. No cheesecake. Naming desserts at my favorite fancy restaurant. There is a restaurant about... Actually, it's a block away from my apartment. You have to cross the street. And there it is. Uh, it's called Lo Traviata. And it's this delicious Italian restaurant that has a pistachio cheesecake. I have never farted in there. And I guess I mentioned that because... We do have rules that kind of uh, arbitrarily gover govern over dating. Don't fart on your first date. You know, the, the rules, rules of decorum. I mean, if you're really... If you want to really get old-fashioned, uh, the rules of uh, the guy plays on the first date... I don't know if that applies, like, if, if two lesbians were uh, going on a date and one of them was uh, butch, I, I, I don't know if they're obliged. I hope society has not answered that question because it's stupid and it shouldn't be answered. And the guy shouldn't be expected to, to pay on the first date. And if they insist, if they think that's just the way it is, maybe you should run because that person's values and all of that maybe maybe a little bit out of whack. But the broader point... 
Those aren't the kind of question. Those are the kind of things you maybe think about on the first date, but probably not years down the road. And this stuff's very arbitrary. And when it comes to when it comes to transgender people, marginalized groups, also, I mean, you could extend a lot of this stuff past uh, just trans people in terms of. Uh, you can go out there and find people who still think interracial dating is taboo. I was reading this uh, article the other day. There was a bakery that's being sued for uh, not, not catering to a gay wedding. They don't do interracial weddings either. That's absurd. But it goes to show how... Uh, narrow-minded and uh, irrationally bigoted some people can be. And for transgender people, one of the questions that, that, that I think about, not every day, in fact, not even that often nowadays, but just in general, something that uh, captivates my mind still is uh, what it means to be a real woman. If you're cisgender, you probably don't really have any better idea of that than I do. Because if we want to think about the things that, that, that really kind of define that stuff, uh, it excludes people. And something cannot be universal if it's simultaneously exclusionary. Not all women can give birth. That's, uh, that's okay. But we like to kind of single that stuff out for some groups more than we like to do it with other groups. And it's kind of like one of those Morpheus-style Matrix, uh, what if I told you? Oh, I won't date a woman. What if I told you if you were buried in my crash, you would not be able to fucking tell the difference? For say, oh, well, maybe I'd want to try, and then you'd say, no, totally not. Gross. Go away. I don't know if I have a lot of answers to this kind of stuff, but there I was in the shower thinking about the scent of a woman. Thinking about what it means that I, that I felt like that. I try not to, when I talk about my, uh, my feelings and emotions, which has been the subject of other podcasts, uh, I try not to fall into the super stereotypical stuff. Like, uh, just as an example, sometimes I get very emotional about wanting a child, and I there's this stuffed bear that Tara grew up with named Cheryl, who appears in a lot of pictures of mine on Twitter and Instagram and all of that. Sometimes I just hold her and I refer to that as me nesting. And it emotionally makes me feel better. And it, it's got to be some sort of hormonal thing. But uh, sometimes I'm just really desperate for wanting a child. And I know that's got to be hormonal because beforehand, before I transitioned, I never, ever, ever wanted kids. I've changed that since transitioning. And a lot of things in your mindset changes. And that's good because I... Had a lot of uh, a lot of struggles beforehand, 
now I want to be a mother. And I say that with like some angst. It'll happen eventually, I hope. But just just to describe something that uh, I feel now that I didn't used to feel before, I smell differently now. Men find me attractive. My ass gets compliments. We've we've had an episode on that as well. Not to dive back into stuff we've already done before. And I'm in a monogamous relationship, so I don't act on that stuff. I don't particularly want to, but if a guy wants to pass me a compliment, I will take it. And that's okay. When it comes to the sense stuff, we have to think about how that's one of those things that also to talk about the people, uh, the, the differences between trans women and cis women. Smell is not a difference between them. If you're on HRT, y'all smell the same or similar, not the same. Women smell differently. Although that smell, the visceral reaction when I was climbing in the shower, I mean, if you've ever... If you've ever uh, gone down there on somebody, the term known as cunnilingus, uh, there's a s- s- smell that uh, I guess I guess the 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 degree to which uh, potency you can smell it uh, can change, but that's the same general smell. Kind of like you could smell something and say, "Oh, I know that's bo," as opposed to a dumpster, which also can smell bad. And I'll. Uh, move off of those kind of uh, references. but And people want to wanna try and make the claim that dating is some kind of means to an end. Often it's literally not that. It's, it's just means. It's, it's something that, that people do casually for sex, not for marriage and uh, the white pig offense with the two kids who you come up. Daddy! That stuff doesn't... That's not... It's not all linked. You can follow a, a, a sequence sometimes, and if you're if you're dating with the intent of, of settling down, maybe that's the way you can go. But like, especially with these people, oh, I won't date trans women; they can't have kids. Millennials don't have kids, uh, by and large. I mean, I have friends who have kids. I I want to have kids eventually, but we, the millennial generation, don't have a ton of kids. Child um, childbirths across the country are down now. So this whole idea that that trans people are, are excluded from the broad, broader norms is just it's just kind of a load of nonsense. And I don't want to sound super wishy-washy when I say, "Oh, we're not so different, you and I." Uh, we are different. I have a different life experience than a lot of you. And that, that goes for if you are trans or not. You have a different life experience from your wife. If you're listening to this with somebody else, person next to you probably has a very different life experience. It sounds kind of stupid to say. And yet, we as a society have varying degrees of tolerance for those kinds of differences. And sure, it's based on bigotry in a lot of ways, but just even to kind of focus on that stuff, um, 
think when people say like eradicate homophobia in a lot of ways, that uh, also means removing the people with homophobic views out of society. Not like literally, but figuratively. Like if you have a if you have homophobic relatives, you uh, you cut them off. And for a lot of people, that works really well in terms of uh, it's good for their mental health. It's good for all of that. But I read a lot about the loneliness epidemic that we have. I've talked about it in other podcasts. And I think it's serious stuff. And it extends to, to all corners of our society from the bigots to uh, those who, to the marginalized. That's not to say that I that I care about uh, everybody equally. I care vastly more about trans people than I do about bigots, and I, I don't actually really even care that much at all about the bigots. I can say fuck them, and uh, I feel pretty good about that. But if we're going to be serious with ourselves, we need to acknowledge that intersectionality seeing experiences outside your own. We should also welcome the ways in which we are the same. There's no, like, fraternal uh, order of men or the sorority of uh, all women out there. And the way, that, the way that TERFs kind of talk about it, they like to pit cisgender women versus transgender women. And it's just a lot of divisive nonsense. But we should celebrate the ways that we are alike. I know so many trans people, and I know a lot of cisgender people who are really desperate for love. If you're one of my friends who's listening, uh, who's in this boat, I'm like, not thinking of any one of you uh, particularly. When I say this, because it's, 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 it's such a universal problem. So many people out there want somebody to love. And love as a concept is not particularly conducive to... You know, if we did a straw poll, would you date a uh, man who was uh, five foot eight? That's not particularly short. It's not super tall. Not particularly short. If we did a poll like that, you come up with like 50-50? I, I, I don't even... I, 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 there's no poll. I didn't conduct that. So the findings of this, of this bogus poll are, are, are kind of irrelevant. If you ask people like that, they're thinking, well, that's not super tall. I'm going to say no. And that's a very, it, it, the real takeaway from that is a poll like that would be stupid. Or would you date a guy who was, uh, let's take a couple inches off, 5'4". That's, that's for an, an average American man considered short. And you would find a lot of women, like Cosmo, plenty of uh, magazines talk uh, all the time about, you know, uh, short men can't date tall women, all, all of that kind of stuff. Short men have, uh, the, the, whole, the whole idea behind insoles, which I don't want to focus on very much, but the, the people who claim that they're involuntarily celibate, 
a, a core of insole philosophy. If you have no idea what an insole is, they're kind of like just sort of internet trolls. If you want to look up more, go ahead, but do that at your own risk. Some of these insoles believe that like the upper 10%, I don't know the exact numbers, but the upper 10% or so of men get all of the women. That most women's dating preferences uh, tend to coalesce around a small subgroup of men. And to a large extent, that's just totally ridiculous because uh, people who we consider conventionally unattractive uh, to us, ourselves, uh, find true love all the time. And that's a nice thing. But uh, this whole insult logic is uh, really harebrained and, and kind of just all designed as an excuse to uh, give people who are probably unpleasant to begin with... Uh, an excuse. It's not your fault. The alpha male is going to get all of the people. And people think, oh, you're trans, you're just going to be alone for the rest of your life. Um, I, I have a partner who lives with me. I'm actually, in, in terms of uh, uh, relationships, do pretty well. And I know a lot of trans people who are in happy relationships. And regardless of whether I've said that before, or I've, even if I've said that before this episode, it bears repeating because uh, so many people, one of, one of the many, and there's just so many, but there's one, one of the boundaries uh, that some people have towards transitioning to begin with is the idea that they are not going to find love. And let me tell you, hell of a lot easier to find love after you transition than if you're going to try and uh, go through dating and uh, opening up to somebody and all that stuff. Uh, while keeping that secret. Secrets suck. Don't keep the secret. And let's uh, let's tie this back into scent, lest people think I'm going off topic. No, this stuff's all related. I smell like a woman. I am a woman. This voice, a little deep, that's okay. Ian Thomas, masculine name, beautiful name. Ian Thomas Malone. And I'm even more comfortable in it because because I, I I don't need I I don't live my life requiring people to 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 buy into that concept that I'm a woman. Um, you either do if you don't. If you don't, I don't really want to have a heck of a lot to do with you. But I'm not gonna go to my pillow and cry myself to sleep. Uh I'm fortunate and I'm kind of grateful to be over the, the, the dating part where I have to, you know, explain my name or tell people to check out episode one of this podcast all about names. Point being that my happiness as we stand now is not super duper linked to society's recognition of my gender identity. And as a result... Pretty much every time I... There's a reason I don't bring... There's a reason that every transgender story time uh, is, is usually just me alone. I don't like bringing transgender people on to talk about all of this internal stuff because it's a lot of just invasive... St I, I, I want to bring transgender people on to talk about their work, about 
uh, broader politics or broader uh, societal issues. I don't bring them on for uh, for these kind of topics for the same reason that uh, you don't ask a transgender woman or... Um, <laughs> I don't bring transgender people on to talk about stuff like this for the same reason you don't ask transgender people about their private parts. It's invasive. I'm choosing to express this stuff now because I think it's important for people uh, just to get this kind of perspective because there's a good chance, uh, especially if you're here for Game of Thrones, Thomas the Tank Engine, video games, all of that kind of stuff, that you're not going to get these kind of perspectives elsewhere, and I recognize that this is something I can do for people. I, I kind of laugh... They, it, it, it was it was a bit hard for me to uh, really uh, come to grips with the idea that I I should do, and I uh, podcast uh, inspired by by crot sweat. Um, it's not the most fun thing to talk about because it's gross and uh, it requires you to think of me about to get in the shower, and I have uh, I like my body and all of that. I don't expect people to just sit there and want to uh, uh, think about all of that. It's important because I, 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 I've said this, and now I've said, I've said this before as many times as I've uh, repeated myself to begin with. But my day to day is is not a ton of of uh, without a ton of time spent on the broader philosophy of the transgender identity. These episodes are, are, are where I talk about that stuff. But I, I felt like a woman before I smelled the crotch sweat, and I felt like one afterward. And it's been fun to think about what that means for everybody. But most of all, it, it's something that's important to think about for the people who just want to sit there and write off trans people. Trans people make great party. You know, that's... Plenty of, I, I'm sure there's plenty of transgender people who make terrible partners, but a lot of us are very uh, caring people who, who know rejection pretty damn well and know what it means to, to open ourselves up to other people. That's a trait that I found among the transgender community, that people, um, compassion is a trait that you can find in the trans community in abundance. And there's so many, there's so many ways that we just find it dangerous to overgeneralize about people because uh, then you fall into stereotypes and that's not good. That's one where I, I can say with confidence that um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of transgender people are, are kind because specifically they know what it's like to face some of the most brutal rejection and discrimination uh, that can be found. And we've been through all of that. And uh, a lot of the people out there will make really great partners for uh, people because they've opened themselves up not only to self-love, but then to love of other people. And I cringe and I roll my eyes when I see the people, uh, the poll, would you date a trans person? Because it's just comment, so demoralizing and demeaning. I, I've seen them a plenty of times now in my own relationship, and I still find them more demeaning and horrible, and they don't even really affect me anymore. But I still find that, that that's just a horrible thing to say about people. And society still still kind of feels this free reign to, to other and uh, harp on trans people. And... 
that uh that's really unfortunate and it's it's just also really just not true in a lot of ways the things that that set us as a as a community apart from people um those differences can can generally speaking include a lot of the other uh portions of the population it, it it's just a fact of life it's reality you're going to really have to dig to find those differences that just set us all apart. Because they tend to set other people apart. And it's not a, we're not so different, you and I, scenario. Give people a chance. Not if, not if they fart on a first date, you can get up and run, I don't blame you, but... um Society tends to be uh, a bit too judgmental, and I say that as a film critic. When I'm about to review a movie, especially if it's like a documentary based on something that I don't have a lot of familiarity on, I sit down and I, you know, I have my, I have my popcorn or my seltzer water or something. I sit down and I'm ready to receive. What's being said in front of me? I don't sit down saying to myself, "Oh, I think this will be terrible. Let's see. Let's uh, let's count the minutes until I'm right." That would be horrible. That'd be incredibly unprofessional. I sit down and I am uh, ready to embrace what's being offered. It's not always great. Sometimes it's terrible, but. You feel better going into it, trying to not only just lower expectations, but sitting down prepared to uh, feel something you weren't necessarily expecting. And it's hard to educate people on what being trans is really like, especially if those people then... Because I mean, the, the, the best way to get experience knowing what, what being trans is like is to know trans people. And then the, the, the trouble with that is uh, if you go to a trans person and say, I want to get to know what being trans is like. Can I be your friend? They're probably going to run away. I would. I w- maybe I wouldn't run, but I, I, I would not want to spend a ton of time with them, and I'd probably just direct them to check out the show or, or other people's stuff because I wouldn't want... It's gonna stuff like that tends to kind of come with uh, the unwanted questions and all of that kind of uh, cringeworthy stuff later. But there's a segment of the population that will just write trans people off entirely, and that's a shame. But aside from that, there's a, a large amount of people who aren't educated with uh, trans people and maybe they have prejudices or they have things that they think, but they can be proven wrong. And that's another reason that I think the shows like this are important because uh, at the end, I can't make anybody click the show who wants to listen to it, but uh, to have it there as, as a resource for somebody who does kind of want to learn what this stuff is like, I think that's valuable. Or I think that's a good thing. There are people who can be brought around to the idea that, that trans people really aren't that different from the rest of society. Uh, 
what's missing is is a way to uh, explain it to them. And that's where the crotch sweat comes back into the equation. A jumping off point for me to explain one other reason that I'm really not all that different from a cisgender woman. Doesn't mean I'm the same. Doesn't mean anything other than that. But if, if you thought that uh, a transgender woman was some kind of mutated version of a cisgender woman, uh, maybe, that, maybe that can serve as uh, additional proof that we're really not super-duper different. We're just people. We sweat. We smell and we sweat, and that's why we also we have to shower. So on that note, uh, I think it's probably... A good point to uh, stop talking. We've talked a lot about crotch sweat. We've talked a lot about other things that aren't related to crotch sweat. But um, this stuff's kind of linked. What's a podcast if it doesn't have a couple episodes that aren't really about what they say they're about? If you're somebody who tunes into this show uh, to learn about what being trans is like, or if you're what we would call an egg, somebody who hasn't uh, come out somebody who's trans and doesn't really know it or hasn't worked through all of that stuff. Um, it's important to talk about these things and to think about them. I'm glad that we could spend this time together to uh, work through a bit of this stuff. Uh, I don't have broader answers to the... Uh, problems, the existential uh, threats to the trans community or society at large. Loneliness is something I think about a, a lot for everybody. Everybody. I don't have some grand solution, but uh, I'm committed to thinking this stuff through and trying to work through it. And uh, glad that you were able to uh, join me for this time. So, uh, for those of you who stuck around, uh, it warms my heart every time I get a, a piece of positive feedback or somebody says that the show was good or it touched them in some way. Uh, it's the best kind of feedback in the world. So uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>